from Music City, USA, it's David Hooper and Music Business Radio. From Music City, USA, Nashville, Tennessee, this is Music Business Radio, your backstage pass to the music business. I'm David Hooper, your host, and with me today, the legendary singer-songwriter A.J. Croce just released the 20th anniversary of his second album, That's Me in the Bar. A.J., welcome to Music Business Radio. Hey, thanks for having me. You just moved here to Nashville. I just moved back, yeah. So let's talk about that. You've got a long history with San Diego. Uh You flip-flop back and forth a little bit, but now you're back in Nashville. I've been coming here since I was 17, and I guess I was coming here to write. The very first time I came was to meet up with Cowboy Jack Clement. I was 17, and I got a gig that night playing at the Bluebird. And so it was an experience. I was like thrown right into the middle of it. And then after that, I came back every year and wrote with different folks and have a lot of friends here. And so in 2008, I decided I'd move here and and stayed here for about two and a half years until my youngest one, you know, wanted to go to high school back in California. And we did that. And once he graduated, we came back. You mentioned Bluebird Cafe. Yeah. Traveled around the world. Yeah. You come from singer-songwriter royalty, your father, Jim Croce, of course. Is there any place like the Bluebird? Um, Not that I can really think of. There's something about the size of the venue makes a huge difference. The fact that people are really listening. Consistent level of talented people that play there is really remarkable. I've been on a couple of shows where it was really very unique shows that had a similar format many years ago. The Bottom Line in New York used to have a songwriter night, and it was you'd never know who was there. It would be Clarence Carter and Joey Ramone and Southside Johnny, and you'd you know it was yeah. like and and every and it was that kind of thing, and it, people were quiet and respectful. Right. But it, it wasn't like a daily thing that the Bluebird has. You know, it's that's something really special. It's such a unique atmosphere. You go in there and if you talk too loud, and right now we're talking too loud for the Bluebird, they'll shush you. Yeah. And if you do it again, they'll kick you out. But you probably have experienced this yourself. During shows, you see so many people pulling out their smartphones, yeah, taping everything. You're not right. going to see that at the Bluebird. No. That's- people are present. They're really there to, to watch it in HD. I mentioned that you'd moved back and forth between San Diego and Nashville. Yeah. And Nashville has changed a lot in the last five, six years since, since you were here last. Oh, it, it's changed immensely. It's, I mean, just the population alone. But, you know, I lived in a different part of town than I do now. I live in, on the east side and it's, I didn't expect to live there, you know, it, not for any other reason than I just liked where I lived before, you know, the house, I fell in love with it. And my wife fell in love with it. And it was, it's now I'm really glad that I'm there because I can walk to all kinds of food and music and record stores. And it's, it's just like, I feel like I'm in a city, you know, yeah, and it's, it's fun. Catch up with California. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's you better. told me something really interesting about your house yeah. before we walked in the studio. And I love this story because yeah. I love houses that have a good story. And yeah. some people may have seen your house without even knowing it. Right, right. Well, I'm not going to give the address right now, but what was <laughs> happening was that um, we came here for a week. We were staying with a friend outside of town, and we were looking for places, and there just wasn't – there was like three houses on the market in areas we were looking at. Like there was nothing, and didn't matter what price range. And so we went 
back to California. Our house had sold and we were just in a hotel. Wait, you know, and we were looking online and we found this place that had been a flip house, you know, for like one of those HG TV kind of flipping shows. And they had, you know, videos of it taking down of the studs. And it was like house from the 1920, which is like just like our house in California from 26. Except all the plumbing was new, all the wiring was new, all of the floors were new. I was like, oh, this is like perfect. It's yeah. got all that charm, but yeah. but hopefully nothing's going to break <laughs> for a while. It was, on, it was on TV, so you could see how they had fixed it. So. <laughs> That's right. There was no hiding it. <laughs> You're listening to Music Business Radio, your backstage pass to the music business. AJ Croce is joining me on this episode. It's got a new album. It's not really new. It's the 20th anniversary. It's called That's Me in the Bar. Curious about 20th anniversary of this album. It has a, a new track. Yeah. Well, not a new track. You recorded it 20 years ago, but it was mm-hmm. an unreleased track, a cover yeah. song. Right. Talk about that. I don't know where to start. I guess that it was the hardest record I've ever made. I started making it with uh, John Simon, and the record company was really hard on, on us, and they weren't happy with the direction it was going, and it was kind of heartbreaking for me. And then Jim Keltner expressed interest in producing it, and Jim, you may probably know as a drummer, this was his first production. So just from the beginning, it was a challenge, and then we kept on trying to do different kinds of music and it's just sort of experiment with things and the label was didn't know what they wanted but they knew what they didn't want and so it was a really hard and sort of heartbreaking record and yet we came up with all of this stuff that was really interesting so jim called a lot of his friends from wadi wachtel to david hidalgo to ry cooter played on a ton of stuff on there robin ford who had also been on my uh, my first album billy payne dropped in and played keys on one song Jim, at the time, lived next door to flee from the Chili Peppers. And so, you know, they would leave their houses at the same time and go, hey, we got to we got to play something together. And and it just happened that we were recording at the time. And he said, hey, you want to come down and record something? And we got there and tried to find what the common ground was, you know, musically. And it was Sly Stone. And so that's what we recorded. Just like hanging out with the neighbors and comes and plays on your record. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really know what to expect. I, you know, I just thought, you know, let's do the best we can. Let's make the best track we can. I want to go back to something you said. You said uh, the label, they weren't happy with the production. Can you you talk more about that? I I mentioned earlier, you've got a very famous father, Jim Croce. Did that affect things? I mean, like maybe... Not really then. Um, You know, there was like a strict rule from, you know, from me that there was no talk about it. And even when I did Letterman and, and Leno and all of the TV and Good Morning America, Austin City Limits, it was never mentioned. In fact, it was part of the deal. They couldn't talk about it, you know? And I really just wanted to find my own identity. Right. And so... It wasn't until I got into my 30s, you know, which is a while ago now, and I just went, you know what? I don't I don't care about that. You want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. Right. I felt confident with the stuff that I'd done and 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 the music I was making and it makes people happy to talk about him. But, you know, I grew up without him, so I don't really have much to add to the conversation, unfortunately. I had Justin Towns Earl in here and asked him about growing up with Steve Earl. Yeah. And he said, well, you know, strangely enough, uh, everybody else knew him a lot better than I did. Yeah. And that was through his music. And right. it, it sounds like maybe something similar. Of course, your father passed. Right. He wasn't young. there. So, so he died when I was two. So, I mean, I grew up without him. Like, you know, a lot of people grew up without a father in the house. So, right. so in that regard, there wasn't a choice in it. 
you know, it's just the way life is. I'm curious to know about you pursuing music for a living, coming from a musical family, your mother also in yeah. the music business. Was that just something that you were growing up around it, just kind of assumed that you would pursue music or? You know what? I, I didn't think so when I was real young. I wasn't sure. But, you know, at 12, I've been playing since I was could stand up, you know. And when I was 12, I got offered a gig and I played it. It was for 20 bucks for, you know, a party for one of my school friends. And their parents said, you know, here's $20 to play. And I, that was it for me. I was hooked. I was like, yeah. oh, wow, 20 bucks. Oh, my God. <laughs> you if got I, real business if I, now. If I practice, you know, if I keep on playing, it, I might get good enough to do this for a living. And I didn't think about it any other way. I just wanted to be as good as I could. Were you always a writer or were you performing other people's music at that first gig? I think there was a couple originals, but most of it was, you know, cover songs. Well, speaking of covers, let's go back to that Sly and the Family Stone cover. This is If You Want Me to Stay, AJ Croce on Music Business Radio, the album That's Me in the Bar, the 20th anniversary reissue. More from AJ Croce when we come back on Music Business Radio. Now. 
Hey everyone, this is Craig Alvin. I'm an audio engineer and mixer in Nashville, Tennessee, and you're listening to Music Business Radio. It's time to get out the Festivus pole from the crawl space and leave your worries behind as we celebrate Lightning 100's fourth annual Festivus. Everyone. Join us Saturday, December 10th at Marathon Music Works for Lightning 100's Festivus Charity Show, benefiting the mission of the Salvation Army with Third Eye Blind. Colony House. And Barnes Courtney. Tickets are on sale now for Lightning 100's Festivus, a party for the rest of us, at the venue box office, by phone at 877-4-FLY-TIX or MarathonMusicWorks.com. Brought to you by Bellmead Bourbon, Heineken, Tito's Handmade Vodka, Carvana, Marathon Music Works, and Lightning 100. It's a Festivus miracle! Hi, this is Tim McFadden. You know, I've worked for RCA Records and Sony, and I started Giant Records and BNA and all of these record labels, but I have to say that everything I've ever learned, I've learned from listening to Music Business Radio. From Music City USA, it's Music Business Radio, your backstage pass to the music business. I'm David Hooper, your host, and with me today, AJ Croce. He's got a new album out. Not really new, it's his second album. It's been reissued. It's called That's Me in the Bar. 20th anniversary reissue and the one before that it was an album called 12 tales that i think has a great story aj i want to talk a little bit about that sure it was kind of a, a collaboration album in a lot of ways it was basically it's 12 songs recorded by six producers so each producer essentially got a 45 and it's kind of a collection of you know these sort of contiguous 45s they just hopefully flow in some fashion but i've always loved collaborating and i was sort of at a place where i had produced my sort of last three albums before that and i was ready to learn something new and so I had this idea and we started calling around and seeing who would be interested and first person to sign on was Cowboy and then Alan Toussaint and that kind of sealed the deal. A bunch of people started joining once those two guys um, came along and so I went to the you know each producer chose the songs they had a, a choice of about 20 songs each of them chose two songs I'd record those two songs and then write two more to replace them so every producer had a lot of choices. Right. I would record with each producer in their studio or in their hometown with their band, with their engineer, and I really got a sense of each each city that way, you know, and each really unique band each way. Let's dive into these people that you worked with. Cowboy Jack. Yeah. The who's who of country, yeah. this guy, has right. with Johnny Cash. Right, of course. I can't, Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis. Elvis. Carl Perkins. Charlie Rich. I mean, it... I Old mean, school country music in Nashville. He was the guy. Yeah, I mean, he was staff producer at, at Sun Records starting in 53. And then Chet Atkins hired him here in the early 60s to produce and to write for RCA. And he was here ever since. Alan Toussaint out of New Orleans. One of my heroes, really, because oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up, I grew up listening to that music, and I learned so much from listening to Lee Dorsey and Irma Thomas records, and all that, all that great New Orleans soul and the meters that he produced, and yep. and so much of that stuff was influential in a way that really helped define my playing or the way that I think about arranging horns or the way that I think about arranging a rhythm section. So working with him was was amazing. 
Kevin Killen? Kevin Killen, you know, I had known his music mostly because of Elvis, Elvis Costello. He'd been producing or co-producing um, Elvis records for the last almost 30 years and engineering all kinds of uh, great stuff. So, yeah, so his perspective was really unique and different. I was really excited by a new perspective, a different idea in recording and how we were going to record it and which songs he chose were, were unique and different from what I would have thought, you know? So you picked these guys based on the music that they had done in the past, and you said you'd had a relationship with Cowboys. You yeah. had that relationship already. Right. What about like Alan Toussaint? We had played together and we had done like four-handed piano stuff, but like we hadn't really like hung out in a real way. And so I went down to his house right before I recorded, like a couple months before I recorded with him. And I sat at a piano and I just played for two hours and he sort of took notes and decided which songs he liked. And, you know, there were a lot of producers that I called that were into it, but we couldn't, didn't work out. And that, that was sort of an interesting thing. Like Kevin Killen, I found through Tony Visconti, who was signed on to do the second track. And Tony Visconti, you know from David Bowie and from T-Rex and all that bunch of cool stuff, Stranglers and um, Procol Harum and just all kinds of great music. Anyway, he realized he was not going to be able to do it and said, you got to work with Kevin. He'd be perfect. Well, that was my next question, like how you got in touch with these people. Some of them you already knew, and if um, you didn't know somebody, how did that go? You went through like a friend or you just called right. up? Right. So um, my manager was really, really helpful in, in making that stuff happen. And Mitchell Froome, he and I, I'd been wanting to work with Mitchell for 15 years. And I'd met him a couple times and we'd, you know, we'd talked about it and it just kind of clicked this time. And, um, and Tony Berg, who I wasn't really familiar with. And then I started digging into the stuff that he had done, you know, with Fiona Apple and Bob Dylan and Johnny Rotten. I mean, it was so diverse from Bette Midler to Johnny Rotten. I mean, he was like one of those, probably the most eccentric of producers, but I think in some ways I learned the most from Mitchell I was probably the most in awe of working with Alan Toussaint, and I was really the most touched by working with, in a sense, I think, by working with Greg Cohen, because just like my second record, which was hard to make, I started recording my first one in New Orleans with Greg Cohen, and I had found him through Tom Waits. He had been playing bass with Tom Waits and producing his records for almost 10 years at that point starting with swordfish trombones and and I think um, um, it was up through rain dogs or something around that time and and I wrote to him and I said would you produce and he wrote back and he said I'm in Germany and he was doing a play and ironically it was with my music teacher from high school who, wow that was the connection that's yeah. how I knew knew him was I had this great music teacher named Francis thumb who made me practice every day and made me read good books and and said, if you want to be a writer, then you have to read, you know, Pablo Neruda and you have to read this and you have to read that. And, and he would, you know, anyway, so I'm going off on a tangent, but he wrote back and said, you should work with Greg Cohen. And it just worked out. So the last song on 12 Tales, the last two songs that were recorded, were recorded in New York with Greg Cohen and the rhythm section of that band from Rain Dogs, which was um, Mark Rebo, Kenny Wollison on drums, and uh, Greg playing bass. 
and myself on keys and guitar. You're listening to Music Business Radio. You're backstage pass to the music business. I'm David Hooper, your host. And with me today, it's AJ Croce. We're talking about the 12 Tales album, available on Compass Records, wherever records are sold. I'm curious to know the process of working with these different producers. And if you want to throw something in about the cities as well, I mean, certainly New York City, a different vibe than Nashville, a different vibe than New Orleans. You've got different people, different cities, different producers. Yeah. Talk about some of the experiences and how these guys did things differently. I'll tell you, I wouldn't have been able to do this record, I don't think, had I not lived here and done a bunch of recording and done a bunch of you know sessions while I was here and so much collaboration. I had collaborated, you know, four or five days a week when I was living here. So it was a second nature. And I was really ready for that kind of collaboration after after being in California for, for a couple of years. And of course, the cities play a part because the players have a certain sound. Even though I worked with all these producers, because we had so little time together, because it wasn't like there was a big budget to do this, right. we recorded most every song live or sometimes I would record, you know, the song and then overdub the vocals. But it was like we recorded stuff fast. Yeah. I mean, we recorded two tracks with Cowboy here in five hours. Wow. So we had two sessions, right, back to back. And we had an hour left just because it just flowed and it was fun and it was, you know, good players and still had time to hang out with friends and, and stuff. So yeah. it was it was like that was great. And in New Orleans, you know, it was a unique thing. I kept on hearing, I kept on hearing background vocals. I kept on hearing horns on the stuff. And at first, AT didn't, he didn't hear that stuff. He just heard a rhythm section. And then as he started to, he started humming along with the playbacks of these songs. And I said, what do you got there? What are you, what are you singing? He's like, oh, it's a harmony. It's a vocal harmony. He would sing something else. What's that? It's the trombone part. I said, okay. He said, "Wait one second, and he made a couple phone calls, and and we had, we had horns and and yeah. singers. You know, it was like it was like one of those very cool, very natural things. And I think everyone that I worked with, and the thing that was the same about everyone, they're all really accomplished and uniquely different. Was that they were all willing to try anything that might make the music better." You know, so kind of put the ego to the side, and there was just didn't wasn't there. You yeah, know, like no one, no one had it. None of the musicians had it. None of the, none of the, you know, engineers, and certainly not the producers. Even though they, you know, they easily could have. Could have they yeah. just, it, it was just like that's why they're still working is because they're constantly trying to find the best in the song they're working with. That's the thing that I've found about great producers from both working with them and having them in here yeah. on Music Business Radio is that they're great communicators. Yeah. They're great delegators. They're open to new ideas. They're just amazing people. They're great listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. And that must have made you feel good, your situation with Alan when he's adding the horns in after producing three of your own records. Mm-hmm. You're a producer as well. Right. And... To me, that, that would have made me feel great. Like, hey, this guy's doing something that maybe I heard ahead of time. 
there was no I told you so or anything. Well, sure, it was just sure. it was yeah. just like, you know, I was gonna do whatever he thought was right, you right. know. And so it was really interesting to see how he arranged the horns. And you learn from every I learned from every experience. It right. doesn't matter, you know, whether it's him or whether it's someone I sit in with at you know, at a little bar. Um, it's not gonna make a difference. You can all I can learn from any experience and I feel like um, all of these producers had that kind of mentality. Yeah. I'm going to go out with one. You recorded this live with Greg Cohen in NYC. It's called Time Is Up. And speaking of live, AJ, you brought your piano here in the Music Business Radio Studios. When we come back, I'm going to have you play for us live here. AJ Croce is my guest on Music Business Radio. This is Time Is Up off the album 12 Tales. More from AJ when we come back on Music Business Radio. Roses bloom has faded now. Well, so too has our love somehow. When I try to walk away, I stay in. We try to get and then again.
this is Michael Dorff, founder of City Winery, and you're listening to Music Business Radio, your backstage pass to the biz. Live in the heart of downtown Nashville at the Sobro, now open at 205 Demumbrian. Experience urban living at its finest in downtown's newest apartment high-rise. Enjoy spectacular downtown and riverfront views from studio, convertible, and one or two bedroom units. Amenities include 24-hour concierge, a state-of-the-art fitness center, an outdoor pool, and hot tub, on-site parking, and more. Live, work, and play in downtown Nashville. Visit rentsobro.com for more information. The Sobro, south of Broadway, center stage. This is Fred James of Bluesland Productions, and if they'd had music business radio in the late 40s and early 50s, Bullet Records and Excella would still have their masters today. You're listening to Music Business Radio. From Nashville, Tennessee, it's Music Business Radio. Your backstage pass to the music business... I'm David Hooper, your host, and with me today it's AJ Croce, the legend. AJ Croce, does that make you nervous? <laughs> it you makes me embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're awfully humble. Well, you brought your piano with you. I did, and I'm going to make you play some stuff for us. But okay. before we get into that, I want to talk about what makes a good song. I think all kinds of things make a good song. You know, a good hook, a good groove, anything that affects you emotionally. I think, or changes the way that you felt before you heard it is a good song, in my opinion. You know, I think I listen to all kinds of music and there's all kinds of good songs. You know, there's, and I think if, if it was that easy, you know, people would just write good songs. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not that easy. And there's certainly some songs that seem good at the time, good for that moment in time that we're in when we're maybe 15 years old. You right. Know, Debbie Gibson, Tiffany. Yeah, they were great when you're a teenager, but can you go back and listen to them and will they have held the test of time? That's another yeah, thing. I didn't like, I didn't listen to them when I was a teenager, you know, the stuff that was contemporary that I was listening to that was coming out at that time was stuff like Squeeze and Elvis Costello and then all tons of old music. I've yeah. always listened to old music. It was always always seemed better than new music. Yeah. So it like it by its nature, it held up. <laughs> you're, you're good at picking songs, though. Squeeze. Uh, yeah. I, that stuff is still around. Yeah. I mean, the Pretenders, you hear you, you hear that's it's great music. And that's the stuff that was, you know, popular when I was a, a teenager. But most of that really held up, even when you take into account, like, oh, it was recorded this way or it was recorded. That, you know, the other day I was listening to, like, the first b-52's album in the yeah. car man it held up it's yeah. so unique listening yeah. to beastie boys you know paul's boutique and it's like that held yeah. up well they sampled all those classic songs that of course they did and it was all over the place but it was yeah. so unique and yeah. you, you can kind of hear stuff all the time in new artists that are creating interesting music i hear stuff from you know fiona apple and i go Man, that's a classic. It's there's nothing else that's gonna be like that ever. She's right. brilliant, you know. Or you know, there's always interesting music. Well, you've got your piano in front of you. Okay, pick us a good song that you think has held up over time. Okay, I'm gonna play something that was written by Ashford and Simpson for Ray Charles, and you probably know the song, but I just I just enjoy playing it. Well, you don't have a won't let me in Got a few pennies Gonna get a bottle of gin Just saw that stop by 
know I work so hard well, all day long When everything I try to do It always turns out wrong So I thought I'd stop by On my way home and say well, Let's go get stung Let's go get some. Let's go get some. Let's go get some. But it ain't no harm. I have a little taste. Don't be a fool, start a messing up the man's place. There ain't no harm. Take a little nail. But don't you fall down now and bust your lid. No, 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 no. Let's go get stoned. Let's go get stoned. AJ Croce on Music Business Radio. That was a cover of a cover? <laughs> a cover of a cover. I don't know. Ashford yeah. and Simpson wrote it. Ray Charles performed it. And now you're performing it here on Music Business Radio. That was a great one. Those guys wrote some amazing songs. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I just think that th there was a time when people would record good songs, even if they'd been recorded, like, within the year or oh, yeah. two years. Like, yep. a good song got recorded and recorded and recorded and it's it's kind of fascinating i don't know if it's because of the nature of the business and people all wanting a piece of something or you know if it's a financial thing or if it's i i don't know why or if there's just not the right song for people um but you don't see you know people covering new songs or right. relatively new songs yeah, you used very to. often. Stax Records, those guys would all cover themselves. Right, The stuff from New Orleans that you mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. Every, everyone would cover everyone's songs. Yeah. And they would cover other pop songs and, you know, long history of that. Of course, it's in Nashville, that's really, it's the, sort of the last stronghold of that existing, you know. Right. There, that exists in, in some pop music and in, and it exists in country music, but but probably less than, than it ever has, you know. Yeah, Ryan Adams just covered the entire 1989 <laughs> album by Taylor Swift. Smart move. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting, you know. I mean, I would listen to that. I'm not necessarily a Taylor fan. I mean, I like Taylor. I don't really care for her music, but I'm just curious to see what he does with it though. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's done that with with a lot of music, you know, he did that with the with the metal album and and um 
and you know I think that's I think it's fascinating and there's a lot of bands that have that have really made uh, sort of special shows out of out of covering whole albums yeah. uh, it's been going on for you know 10 or 15 years where I think people go to see w- what fish is going to cover they're going to go and see what Wilco is going to cover what Ryan Adams is going to cover we have a band here in Nashville called the long players okay so and did you rec- you covered a whole album. Yeah, I, I I sat in with them for Purple Rain. What a cool thing! Well, let's while we're on the subject of covers, you got another one for us? Sure. Yeah, there is uh, this amazing um, recording of uh, Sam Cooke live. So I took this version of a Sam Cooke song and kind of ruined it. You want to hear it? <laughs> now yeah. I do. Okay, here it goes. <laughs> This is Fett from Azalea Studios and Performing Songwriter Magazine. Hey, this is Chris Detray from Drive Artist Management. Hi, this is Chris Palmer with Take Six Management. Hi, my name is Greg Bissonette. I'm a Los Angeles touring and studio drummer. You're listening to Music Business Radio. Lightning 100 and AC Entertainment present Flaming Lips, live at War Memorial Auditorium. Do you Wednesday, March 29th, 2017. Oh, Yoshima. 
Tickets on sale now at WMARocks.com or by phone at 615-782-4040. Lightning 100 and AC Entertainment present Flaming Lips Live. This is Blake Calhoun, class of 2021, and you're listening to Music Business Radio.
That's Me in the Bar by A.J. Croce on Music Business Radio. That's the title track of the 20th anniversary reissue of That's Me in the Bar, and also the original That's Me in the Bar. <laughs> I, I'm curious to know about the reissue, because 20 years is certainly a, a huge milestone. You know, as a f- people ask me about it. In fact, there was an article, I forget, someone mentioned it in some uh, write-up recently, and I kind of wanted to write back, and not to the public, but they were just kind of, think, curious why that record got picked. The reason was that when that record came out, the label I was on was a subsidiary of a major, and during the time that the day it came out, everyone at the subsidiary got fired. And so I went and I toured, but it wasn't the tour that I probably could have done. And I did a lot of TV and I did a lot of stuff, but I, you know, it was kind of like unfinished. And there were so many people that it affected that liked that record. And I think Austin City Limits really made an impact because that stuff just gets played again and again and again. And I think that like, I don't know. People liked it. That was that was all. There wasn't there wasn't anything tricky about it. I just had so many requests from fans at shows. Hey, do you have me in the bar? And I just I was thinking about putting a collection together between, you know, 12 Tales and the next studio album. And I spoke to the folks at Compass and said, hey, what do you think about this? You know, it was it did pretty well, you know, considering, you know, everything that happened and all of the, all the struggles that went along with it. And people really dig it. And it's, I don't know, it seems to have a second life. We've had Gary and Allison from Compass Records here on the show before. Great people. Yeah. What is the difference between working for a smaller independent label and being on a a major or a subsidiary of a major label? When that happened, the day that 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 happened where I got a phone call from the president of the label and he said, you know, we've, everyone's been fired. Everyone's been let go. I think it was 24 hours later, I got a call from a company in Germany that was an indie label that was distributed by Virgin here and, and everywhere else in the world. And I realized at that moment that I was making a decision to go to work with an independent label and that it it would change my life, that I might not ever be on a major again. The benefit of it is that you have this creative freedom that you you just you don't have on a major. You have the ability to to really express yourself in a way that that you can't with a major because there's so many people that have input. Even even with you know big subsidiaries, everyone has an opinion. The radio promotion team has an opinion, mm-hmm. and 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 what was the last thing that 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 they promoted? And the PR firm has an opinion, and the, everyone has has an opinion, and it affects the creative process in such a way that that you don't get to make the music that you really want to make um, unless you're incredibly successful and, and can really call the shots. And so for everyone else that's on a, on a major that, that isn't at that place in their career, you do what you're told, kind of, you know. So being with an independent, you know, the downside is you never have the budget that you, that you had before. You never have the marketing. You never have – people probably won't hear about you quite as much being on a small label being with a you know independent distribution company but the benefit is you sort of have control of your life and you have control of your music and the art you make you're listening to music business radio your backstage pass to the music business aj croce is with me today talking about compass records 
It's got a new album on Compass. Actually, two. Last album, 12 Tales, was a collaboration album. And you've just reissued your second major label album. That's called That's Me and the Bar, both available wherever records are sold. At this point in your career, and you've been in it for a while, you basically grew up doing this. Let's talk art versus money. Obviously, it takes money to pay a mortgage, buy a house, buy a car, but art is also important. How do you balance that? I think it's all that's always um, the thought with every offer that you get. I think anything that's ever offered, I mean, I've probably ruined my career, you know, five times because I turned down opportunities that I couldn't get behind creatively. I really, truly have felt that it was more important to pay attention to the integrity of the art than it was to become rich or famous doing it. But what I've also recognized is that they don't need to be mutually exclusive and that there is a way to get some recognition for what you do and still create good music. That's, I mean, I'm here. (laughs) <laughs> promoting something, you know, because I believe in it and I think it's I think it's important. And so I mean, that's it's kind of a it's a balance. It's a it's something you have to think about all the time. When it comes to art, one of the purest things that I think we have in the music business is the actual writing process, writing of a song because that's when it's stripped down bare bones before producers, like you said, the PR people haven't gotten hold of it, the label hasn't gotten hold of it. What about your writing process? Can you talk more about that? I do it every day. Every day I can. I mean, there, of course, when I'm traveling, it becomes a little bit harder, but, and touring, but I sit down and, and I mess with stuff and I think about things and I write lyrics and maybe I finish it. Maybe I don't. If I come back to it for the second day, then I, I put more effort into it, you know, and, and really go, okay, I'm going to finish this. I try never to be precious about anything because it's just a song. And in the end, if I can't express what I'm thinking with this song, then maybe I'm going to have a better luck doing it next time. Maybe I need to approach it from a different perspective. And so trying not to worry too much about it and yet keep as high a, a standard as, as possible. Also, simplicity is like is kind of the key to it finding a way to communicate that's simple i can find that in music where i can't in in real life you know i'm able to edit myself in in a song where where in conversation it's it's not as easy do you find that you maybe self edit before it even hits the page or before you record it or even tell a friend about it most everything like each section it's written down very few times do i cross things out if it doesn't work then i cross the whole thing out and i and i i approach it from a different angle it's like a a concept you know each each section of the verse is like okay it's a story you got to tell a story it can't be too complicated you only got 3 minutes and it needs to be universal. So there's a lot to think about in that in that format. And of course, there's formulas, but I'm always most interested in sort of working outside of it or finding chords or melodies that are that are unique and and as original as possible. Well, speaking of only three minutes, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Do you have a quick story about a song that came together for you that you could share? I wrote this song, I confess, uh, as a Valentine's uh, gift to to my wife. So she made me a this uh, amazing 
amazing quilt that she that she handmade and and um, she gave it to me and I and I sang her this this song. And here it is for you off the album That's Me in the Bar. This is AJ Croce, I Confess. AJ, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Music Business Radio. I'll see you next week when I interview another industry guest. The lavender hey, moonlight The sweet perfume of nightfall Carousel of lovers Whose indiscretions of night Catalog of heartache Whose pages will not let themselves be turned Your omnipresence in my dreams takes more a toll than it redeems And I admit I can't forget you So if you be my valentine I'll swear to be your valentino I confess that I still love you The winding road bears solace Tortured soul has been released. The mockingbird is songless. What it sings can't be denied. The metaphor for romance. Be not a thing if they're misunderstood. Presence in my dreams takes more a toll than it redeems. And I admit I can't forget you. So if you be my Valentine, I'll swear to be your Valentino. I confess that I still love you. Thanks for listening to Music Business Radio, a production of Tune In Broadcasting Incorporated, Nashville, Tennessee. Recorded in the WRLT Lightning 100 Studios. Music Business Radio is produced by Gary Crane, David Hooper, and Dan Buckley. Special technical assistance by Tom Hansen with Pro Tools post-production by Guy Fell. And Lester fixed the chairs. All of them. For syndication information, guest booking, demo derby music, or downloading previous episodes, visit musicbusinessradio.com. Music. Business. Radio.